0: Thank you, Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord God, most high. Thank the Lord. Our God's a great God, isn't he? He's great and he's worthy to be praised forever and forever. Let's pray together as we remain standing. Father, we just thank you for this time together. And thank you for all the privileges of being in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is in you, Father, that we live, move, and have our being. And even as we prepare to share, we would not be presumptuous to start anything without first acknowledging you. Your word says, in all our ways acknowledge you, you would direct our path. Thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Thank you that you know the beginning from the end. And even as we begin today... And uh, labor this week, we pray that you would just open up your word and show us great and marvelous things. Uh, We declare, even as we begin, thine is the kingdom, O God, thine is the power, and thine is the glory. Be glorified, Lord, and save anyone that's lost. Reclaim anyone that's backslidden, add to the church, so we'll be saved and added to the church. And at the end of the day, our prayer is that you would be glorified, not only in this church, but in our individual lives and then corporately together. To your name be glory, to your name be honor, and to your name be praise. In Jesus' name. Everyone say it. Amen. Well, would you look at someone and tell them, I love the fact that you're here today. Lord, you. All right, go ahead. Huh? I love the fact that you're here. Thanks for being here. Amen. Thanks for being I love the fact that you're here today. Good. I love the fact that you're here today. Good. (laughs) I love the fact that you're here today. Good. Amen. Well, it's good to be here with our friends. My wife says we're in our New England home. Amen. And it's good to be here today. Thank you for restocking the calamari. (laughs) The first time my wife ate calamari was here with Pastor Sam. He was saying, I want to have you eat some fish bait. (laughs) And we've been eating it ever since. (laughs) And so it's been a marvelous fellowship and a marvelous time together. We had a tremendous day yesterday, being nurtured and being able to give to your men yesterday. And we talked about fatherhood and uh, how we need to be fathers for this generation because we're living in a fatherless generation. And the impact on society when fathers are not in place. And we talked about not only being fathers to our biological children, but fathers in the community and in the church. Because we're living in a fatherless generation. And we trust that that truth will be lived out in this church every day. I hear that you're having a women's event that's coming on. And so we honor the Lord. Uh, for that. And we just thank the Lord for all that he's going to do. Well, it's time to get into the word of God this morning. So could you take your Bible and hold it up? We're going to make a declaration of faith so that we can all walk in the same spirit of faith this morning. And could you say this after me? Say this after me. This is my Bible. Is my Bible. Though, there the world, Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. One is mine. I, can I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can, says I can I do. do, I can do I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God. My life will be better better. because I have heard the word of faith. faith. Do you believe that? I believe that let's make our lives better by hearing the word of God and our lives will be better because we have heard the word of God. Could you direct your attention this morning to the last book in the Old Testament? It's the book of Malachi chapter one, verse one Malachi. As I begin to read this uh, chapter, it's the chapter that closes out our Old Testament, four short chapters. As I begin to read uh, this chapter this morning and this passage, I believe it will help direct our thoughts for the course of the week. And I think it's important for us to understand that after this messenger speaks for the word Malachi means my messenger. My messenger. That little page between your Old and New Testament, that little page represents 400 years of silence. Between the voice of the Malachi and the time that a little guy comes and emerges in the southern Judean hills whose name is John that we call John the Baptist. There's 400 years of silence. God does not speak to his people for four centuries. That's a long time to go without the word of the Lord. They live on the word that had been spoken. But as we enter into Malachi's world, Israel has now come out of Babylonian captivity and Persian captivity. Many of you know that the backdrop of the book of Malachi kind of starts way over in 1st and 2nd Samuels, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Where Israel decides, like the other nations around them, they don't want to be ruled by God directly. They want a king. God permits them to have a king, and that king is a miserable failure. His name is Saul. Saul is a miserable failure because he listens to the people rather than listening to God. Anytime a leader is controlled by people, that leader is out of control, especially in God's kingdom. Saul is disqualified about 1000 BC. David rises to the throne. David is a king that God calls a man after his own heart. He's not a perfect man, but he's not a wicked man. Because when he sins, when he's confronted with his sin, he repents and wicked people just don't repent, even though they know they're wrong. David dies. Solomon comes to the throne. Solomon dies. Rehoboam comes to the throne and under Rehoboam, the kingdom is then split. And ten tribes go north and form Israel. Two tribes stay south and form Judah. And now you're in the second kings, first and second kings, and first and second chronicles. And you're able to track prophets and kings both in the northern and southern kingdom. And both kingdoms do sin in the sight of God. God sends prophet after prophet after prophet to command them and to encourage them. And then to give them warning of... uh, and consequences if they don't repent and give them prophetic words of benefits if they do. But Israel or Judah will not turn. In 722 BC, the Assyrians come in from the north and take Israel captivity. Israel cannot believe that they're going into captivity by the Assyrians because Assyrians are some nasty people. They're so nasty that when God sends a prophet to them named Jonah, Jonah doesn't even want to go. He said, God, just kill him. Because they nasty. But God loves all kind of people. Even nasty people. And God sends Jonah. And they last for a while. And Assyria comes in and takes uh, Israel captive. And then Assyria begins to gloat in pride. So God sends a prophet named Nahum. And he prophesies against Syria. And Syria goes down the tubes. Judah in the south lasts a little bit longer. And the city is besieged about 606 B.C. And then by five. Uh, by 586 B.C., the temple is destroyed and everyone's carried away in the Babylonian captivity. Even Babylon gets prideful. And God says to them when they try to drink from some of the vessels that have been brought in from Israel under a king named Belshazzar. God says, listen, you've been weighed in the balance. He comes in and breaks up their party writes on the wall and said, tonight the Medes and the Persians are going to come together. Two nations that didn't even like each other came together and overran uh, Israel and everybody's in Persian captivity. While they're in Persian captivity, all of a sudden the Persians are different than Babylonians because the Babylonians wanted to bring in all the young people on the biggest, I mean the youngest, the brightest and the best. And they wanted to totally Babylonianize him. And Pastor John taught us a marvelous lesson out of the book of Daniel yesterday as men. And the Babylonian culture wanted to totally Babylonianize everybody. They gave them Babylonian jobs, Babylonian clothes, Babylonian names, Babylonian iPads, Babylonian computers, <laughs> Babylonian emails. They wanted to totally Babylonianize the young people. Look at your neighbor and say, don't let America Babylonianize you. Go ahead, tell them, tell them. Because the dominant culture always wants to Babylonianize you. But there were some guys that maintained their integrity through that. And one of those was Daniel. And Daniel starts reading through the writings that were given. And he saw if we go into captivity, God will only keep us there 70 years. He starts praying. He lays prayer for 21 days. And after 21 days, a messenger from God, an angel comes and says, Your time has been spent Prepare." Because you're getting ready to come out of this captivity. Daniel asked the messenger, what took you so long? He said, man, the first day I heard you pray, I was sent. But the Persian spirit that was in the air, he was resisting me. He said, but because you labored in prayer and didn't give up. He said, I broke through because God sent some help for me. And I want you to know when you pray, there's supernatural help that is doing warfare on your behalf. And though it may seem like it's tearing, it will come to pass if you will labor in prayer. And God begins to announce. All of a sudden, there's a release about 536 B.C. Zerubbabel, Haggai, and Zechariah. They go back and they rebuild the temple. A few years later... 457 B.C., Ezra comes back and he restores the law. So now we have temple restored, law restored. We can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And then 444 B.C., Nehemiah comes and restores the wall and rebuilds the gate. We now enter into Malachi's world. Because Israel, after 70 years of captivity, several hundred years of prophetic warning has now gotten back into the land, and when they first get back into the land, they are burning with a passion for God. They're trying to do everything right because they knew that when they did things wrong the last time they went into captivity. But all of a sudden, their passion for worship, true worship, begins to wane. They begin to lose their zeal. They begin to lose their focus on what this is all about. They begin to offer up false worship, and part of the fault of it is the people, part of it is the worship leaders, but then it begins to trickle into their marriages and their families, and God raises up this messenger called the Malachi to speak to them because he said, listen, the nation's influence is corrupting my people who are supposed to be the standard, and I'm calling you back to myself. Malachi begins his writing like this in Malachi 1.1. 1, 1, we go to the text, the burden of the words of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Listen to the Lord, faith Christian center. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? They were reflecting. If you loved us, why did you take us into 70 years captivity? Then the Lord says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountain and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom, which is another name for Esau, has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the dust of the places Thus says the Lord, they may build, but I will throw it down. They shall be called a territory of wickedness versus being called the holy land. The people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see it and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If I am the father, where is my honor? That's what God is questioning his people. If I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, priest, who despise my name. You say, in what way have we despised your name and that you offer Defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? In saying that the table of the Lord is contemptible. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with it? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors? So that you would not kindle fire on an altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept your offering from your hands. And from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. My name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. We end this morning with that prophetic word. My name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. As we approach the book of Malachi, and and and, and I sense in my heart that God just wants us to travel through this book this week. I know most of y'all know one scripture out here, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. We're going to get there, but 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 rest with me for a while before we get there, okay? Okay, because that's probably about the only thing people know about Malachi. Most folks will vote for him because say all oh, he wants is your money. He wants your life. Amen. And what we find here in Malachi is as they get back into the land, Malachi introduces himself and his name is listed about 34 times in this book. Sometimes he's called Malachi in the first chapter, but the rest of the time he's just called my messenger, which is what his name means. And he says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Listen, everyone who would dare stand and preach for the Lord cannot preach until the burden of the Lord comes upon them. Now, a lot of us in the New Testament, we don't think about the word being the burden of the Lord because of a scripture that Jesus said, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But every one of us who wants to be a carrier of the word We must understand there's a weight that comes upon us to carry God's word. That weight is the weight of time with the Lord. That weight is is the weight of getting clarity from the Lord so that we can articulate divine truth in an easy, understandable way. That weight is prayer. That weight is isolation in studies. I've discovered as a preacher, limited time in a study is wasted time in the pulpit if you and I will not take time to study and meditate upon God's word. And if we don't feel the weight of that word, it's a wasted time in the pulpit. When I go into traditional churches that have benches and pews, I put it like this. If there's a mist in the pulpit, there'll be a fog in the pews. When people leave a church service and they say, boy, that was deep. What that means to me is I didn't understand the thing that that person just said. Because it was misty up here and it's foggy out there. And friends, what I've discovered is that if we spend limited time grabbing hold of the burden of the Lord in our prayer, in our meditation, in our time, in our personal worship, friends, that nothing really is going to happen. And, and the prophets in that day, they didn't prophesy because they wanted to give goodwill messages to the people. They wanted to warn the people of where there was failure and where there was limitation and where there was fault. But they also wanted to exhort them the great benefits of following the Lord. And that was a burden because these prophets weren't like prophets today that got rings and fur coats and cars and people giving offerings into their ministry. They got run out of town, stoned, burned, thrown into pits. And they felt the weight of the word of the Lord. Listen, one day when they were rambling Amos out of town and they said, Amos, get out of town. We don't want to hear from you no more. Amos, the prophet said when he was running out of town, he's running out of town, said, listen, I'm not a prophet. Neither was I the son of a prophet. He said, I was just tending sheep and and he said and taking care of fruit. And he said, and God picked me and took me from among that and called me to prophesy. And as they were running him out of town and he said, y'all said y'all didn't want to hear the word of the Lord again, but your king is still going to die. And your auditor is still going to be burned down." They had to feel the weight of the Lord. And I believe that today that for the church to be a prophetic voice in the community, the weight of the Lord must come upon us again, That, that we don't do what we do just so that. We can save lost people. We do what we do so that God might be glorified. And that's what God's after in the book of Malachi. He wants God to be glorified. Why do you sing before God? Do you sing because you say it brings the people pleasure? Or do you sing because you want to glorify God? Why do you teach a small group in the church? Do you teach because you want the people to be blessed? Or do you teach because I want God to be glorified? Why do we do missions? Do we do missions because God loves lost people? Or do you miss do missions because God is being glorified? Why do we reach the poor in our community? Do we do that because God loves poor people or do we do that because God wants to be glorified? You see the backdrop of what I'm, I'm sensing in my heart that God wants to say this week can be summed up. In one little verse in Corinthians and in Corinthians chapter 10 and um, and I believe it's uh, in verse number 31 in first Corinthians 1031. Listen, he says, listen, 1031 of first Corinthians, he says, therefore, whatever you eat or drink you and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He said, even the minutest things that you do, the smallest things that you do. He says, there should be an attitude in us foremost that God would be glorified. Whether I'm eating a French fry, whether I'm eating with a king or with poor people. He says, no matter what you do, that God would be glorified when I get dressed. I'm not getting dressed so that I look good. I'm getting dressed so that God might be glorified. And true worship is a God-glorifying life. And Malachi is after a scene that God-glorifying life in true worship is more than our song. True worship is more than our dance. True worship is more than rhythm and instruments, although those will enhance worship. Worship is a God-glorifying life. He says the burden of the Lord to Malachi. Here's the burden of the Lord. Malachi first starts off by saying, I have loved you. Now, when you read Malachi's writings with me this week, you're going to say, God, this don't sound like love sound like you're filled with rebukes. But God said, I've loved you. He says, I've loved you. And yet the people were saying Malachi is going to be a one man act. He's going to stand on this side and say, this is what God's saying. Then he's going to move over on the this side of the states and then the people are going to answer God. And then he's going to step back into God's shoes and God is going to respond to what the people say. And he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, in what way have you loved us? And then God makes a statement. He says, listen, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord. Yet Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And he said, I lay waste his mountain and his heritage for the jackals, Malachi 1.3. And I want you to know that every one of us, we're deserving Of all of us being lost. God didn't choose Jacob over Esau because Jacob was some special somebody. Jacob was called supplanter. He was real special, all right. He tricked everybody. Look at your neighbor and say he was special like you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was real special. Man, Jacob and his mother get together and trick their father. Jacob tricks his brother. Jacob then gets tricked by by Laban and then Jacob tricks Laban. He was always tricking somebody. And yet God said, that's the one I want. And isn't it interesting? Jacob was the younger Esau was the older Esau had the birthright. And it seemed like God said, but I want the younger one. And, and, and Esau, why did he reject him? Esau did not value spiritual things. He didn't value his birthright. He would rather give it up for something temporal, something cheap, something that would temporarily satisfy rather than holding on to something that would have eternal weight and value. And God chooses Jacob. God sometimes will take people that are just notorious, scandalous, a.k.a. nasty folk. And he will take folk like that every now and then and use them over and above the person that arrived first. And sometimes people think that because I've been here for a long time, I should have seniority, longevity. And God will grab somebody that's just young, came into church on fire, just wants to glorify God and begin to use them. And one of the challenges with church like Faith Christian Center in our church, our church will be 32 years old this year, is that when people have been Christians for a long time, they think that I got it together and I know I'm loved by God because I've been around for a long time. In old Pentecostal churches, they would say things, I've been in the way a long time. And I say, that's right, you've been in the way. <laughs> And friends, sometimes we can make the mistake of thinking just because we've had longevity that sometimes we're special before God. And God said, no, the only reason you're special is I chose to love you. He said, man, you were rotten. He said, I chose to love you. I chose to love you. And he said, but Esau, I hated him. And that's a real strong word. He said, I rejected him. Now, only did reject him, but then Esau, he said, I was going to lay his mountains barren. I was going to lay his fields straight. But listen, here's Esau. Even though God says, man, you're going down. He doesn't repent, so he won't go down. He'll say, well, if you tear it down, I'll build it back up. That's one of the challenges in the nation that we live in. Because we live in a nation now that's moving towards the fact that they think they can do things without God. They're ignoring and resisting. Not acknowledging the knowledge of God. There's a book out called The Harbinger that some of you have probably read and it talks about the warnings that God sends when leaders, when God's trying to get a nation's attention and leaders say well we'll just rebuild. Sometime God will step back and say oh really? You're going to rebuild without me? You see in the New Testament we discover friends without me you can do nothing says the Lord. No thing can really be done without God and a God glorifying life, which is a worshipful life says, God, I want you to be glorified in everything I do. And I'm starting to change my prayer a little bit during this season of my life and hoping that it will be a whole lot by the end of this season of my life. And I'm asking God at the end of my prayer, God, whatever will glorify you. That's what I want to do. I don't want to go someplace and preach unless it's going to glorify you. I don't want to go someplace and do missions unless it's going to glorify you. God, what does a God glorifying life mean to you? In verse number four of Malachi one, he says, even though Edom said we have been impoverished, but we will return and rebuild. It says, God says they may rebuild, but I'll throw it down. When Mary Ann Brown, the prophet was with us the last time she was at our church. She says, America's in trouble. And she said, America will be attacked again. And she said, my problem is is that America has seemed to have recovered on their own without God. Remember after 9-11, churches were filled. Everybody was seeking God. People were bewildered. Even McDonald's had up on their marquee, pray for America. Three weeks later, 30 million hamburgers sold. How quick we forget. That without God, we can do nothing. So he says, even you may be built, but I'll throw it down. He said, you'll be known as a territory of wickedness. He said, for the people against whom I have indignation forever, as your eyes shall see it, and you shall say, the Lord will be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. God says, I've loved you. And I didn't love you because you were large, because you were smart, because you were pretty, because you were numerous. I love you because I chose to put my love on you. The fact of the matter is, self-included, all of us with nothing but rotten fruit going down the conveyor belt to the dumpster. And God, through his sovereign grace and mercy, chose us. That he might be glorified in our life. Some other rotten fruit went into the dumpster, but he chose us. Would you look at your neighbor and say, he chose me. Now, if I was Calvinist, I'd say, if you are the elect, you will know you are the elect. okay? and uh, but he would say, I chose you. And many times when we say, I found the Lord, really, he found you. (laughs) He found you and he chose you and elected you by His sovereign mercy and his grace. And my question this morning, as we begin our journey, is what should be our response to his love? His statement in verse number five. Kind of gives us the backdrop for our conversation this week. In verse number six, he goes on and he says, a son honors his father. And in the West, we have lost the gift of honoring your mother and your father. In the Western world. It was a curse to curse your mother and father in the Eastern world at that time. You honored even In days past when I was growing up, you never said yeah and no to an adult unless you find yourself coming out of a black fog and picking yourself up (laughs) off the floor. I was in Atlanta, and I talked to an old grandmother. She was 85 years old, turn, getting, moving into her 90s. And she told a little story. She said, I have respect in my house. She, she said, I demand it. And she said, and my sons and daughters are in their 40s and 50s now. She said, but I still get respect, Reverend. And I said, how do you do that? She said, well, one of my gals, she said, she came home. And I said, gals, uh-oh, this is going to be a real story. When a mother calls a daughter gal, you know, it's going to be a real story. She said, she came home uh, from college, and she said, she was in her 30s no, uh, had got their master's degree. And she said, she stood in the foyer of my house and took out a cigarette and lit it up. And she said, girl, what's wrong with you? You know, I don't know smoking in my house. And she said, my daughter, 45 years old, put her little hands on her hips. and said, I'm 45 years old. I got a master's degree. i make my own money. I'll smoke where I want to. And then she said, and Reverend, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden everything went black. <laughs> And she said, and when I came to, I was on top of her beating her in her face and don't you ever talk to me again. She said, that happened when I was 80 years old. There used to be respect that came willingly from children for their parents. And then there was respect because of visible, tangible, overwhelming force. And in the Eastern culture of the Bible, respect was a given honor, your father and mother. And God comes to them because they have now begun to become lapsed in their worship. And He says, A son honors his father, a servant his master. If I am your father, where is my honor? If I am your master, where is my reverence, says the Lord? And to you, priests, these are the worship leaders. And listen, worship leaders, understand my context. Worship leaders are not those that just lead the songs in the service. I consider the worshipers inclusive of everyone from the parking lot to the platform and all of those that are involved throughout the sanctuary worship and classroom worship. When I call our worship council together to tell them what my quarterly preaching emphasis is going to be on my trimester preaching emphasis is going to be so that our songs in our intercession and our word can all work cohesively together that threefold chord the prayer the music and 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 our worship and the word are not quickly broken and when we make our plans I start off with our gatekeepers because I need them to be online because they're directing people to the cars and I don't need people with a bad attitude coming in from the parking lot. I start with our greeters and then move to our ushers and then our video and audio people and then our Sunday school people. All of that is part of our worship council. The priests were the worship leaders. And he says to the priest in this <laughs> particular day, until you preach yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And God just simply says, listen. He says, you have defiled the food of the Lord and you say unto them, in what way have we defiled it? Because you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. What happened was these worshipers had gotten tired of coming to worship. It's not tired of doing things God's way. I don't see why. And when a worshiper starts saying, I don't see why I got to come on time. (laughs) I don't see why I got to fast. And friends, I think it's incredible. I don't see why I got to do all that prayer. I don't see why I got to attend these extra services. I don't see why I got to tithe. I don't see why I need to give. I don't see why I need to raise godly kids. I don't see why I have to discipline my children. I understand that corporal punishment is not the only one to discipline your kids. I think that they ought to be able to respond to a voice command. You ought to be able to respond to an eye command. My, my dad died when I was 18 years old. My mother sang in the choir in the church I came to. My mother had three children. I'm a middle child. I had a sister 18 months older, a brother 18 months younger. And we could set three of us in a row in the church. And my mother could control us with an eye movement <laughs> from the choir stand. Because yeah. in my the Baptist church I came from, the choir sat behind the preacher and all, and she caught her eye when. You know you better straighten up. And friends, people say, I don't know why I got to raise my kids. Because God don't want you up here caught up in the third heaven in the sanctuary and then your kid in the hallway biting somebody's leg off. That, he doesn't want that. <laughs> and sometimes the table of the Lord has become contemptible because we think that we're in a legal relationship with the Lord, whether than a loving relationship. And it's one thing to call him Lord. It's another thing to call him the lover of your soul. That's why he starts off this conversation. Listen, this isn't about legalism. This isn't about religion. It's a reality. I love you. And I want the best for you. They said that the table of the Lord had become contemptible. And listen to me, he says, and in verse number, chapter one, verse eight, he said, when you offer up the blind sacrifice, is it not even when you offer up the lame, listen, blind sacrifice, man, that's when you offer up something. You say, I don't see why I got to do this, but I'm going to do it. I don't see why I got you do it because you love God and he loves you. Offer up the lame. God, sometimes not pleased with lame praise, lame attendance. Lame prayer, lame service, service that has no passion with it. I believe you ought to have passion with everything you do. I believe passion makes a big difference in life. Whatever you do, do it with a little flair. And then you know what he says? And it's almost like he gets satirical with them. He says, listen, he said, if this is what you want to do, he says, offer that to your governor. What would happen if you came to work when you feel led? My start time is nine o'clock, but I feel led to come in at 9 30. <laughs> he said, Offer it to your governor, those that, for you that work for the state of Massachusetts or those of you who work for the city of Seacon or any other place. He said, Just try that at work. And what God is saying, you're giving the men stuff that you won't even give to me. He said, Try that at work. He said, Would it please your governor? says, what if you went in there and just gave half-hearted work? Say said, what if you went to work and you just goofed off half the time? Talked out in the hallway, came into work, half-hearted work, had no passion, had no emphasis, showed no progress. He says, give that to your governor. And he said, see if that would be pleasing to him. I had to go back and reevaluate myself on this because... I had to reevaluate that when I went to United Parcel Service, when I worked for them the first five years of our ministry and 14 years of my life. Listen, I woke up at six o'clock every morning to get ready for work. What do I do now? Now I'm a pastor. Can I get up at six o'clock in the morning to get ready for a God glorifying life? I got my car and I was there and my start time was eight o'clock. So at seven thirty. I was coming through the gate and coming through the door. You know why I had to get dressed? Can I come early to make sure I'm properly prepared as a worshiper for the Lord? I worked hard all day long. And listen, when my my shift was over at 5 o'clock, it was an eight-hour day. But our shift was till you got all the packages delivered and all the pickups done. And so I never complained about staying over at work. But let a service go past. regular time. I don't know what you do up here in Massachusetts, but some folks don't go to church in Columbus, Ohio because they say they keep you in church all day. (laughs) Won't even go to worship. And I said, man, the average church service in America is only two hours 11 to one. That ain't all day. Some of y'all ain't saying nothing. Help me preach. Go ahead. Lean on your neighbor and say, we ain't in here all day. Come on. Go ahead. Tell them, tell them, tell them. And then with churches like yours and ours, we give multiple services. And I used to think, you know, that, that people that came to the early service were more spiritual than those that came to the late. I thought people came to the late service just slept in. And I thought folks that came to the early service rose because Jesus got up early in the morning. I found out something different. People come to the early service because they know this service has got to end. <laughs> Aha! Uh-huh, I got you, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I, I was deceived for a while. Lord, open my eyes that I might see. And I remember when I worked in the marketplace. Man, when it was overtime, I never complained. I stayed until the job was done, then came home. And I said, God, Can, if I, can I offer to you, I want to offer to you what I gave the United Parcel Service. I want to offer to you what I gave the Lazarus department stores and for the Boy Scouts of America when I worked for them. God, I want to offer to you. I don't want to see in my resume when I see your face that I gave more to my governor and more to my job in terms of passion and in terms of attitude and in terms of punctuality. More than I gave to you, God, I want to have a God glorifying life. God looks at him, he says, man, is this the kind of worship you want me to receive? Half-hearted worship. Worship with no passion. Worship that has, nothing says the Lord of hosts. And then it says, but now you intrigue God for favor. Isn't it interesting? We offer God leftovers. And then we want God's favor. Oh, God, I want to be blessed and highly favored. Here, take this white castle. Here, take this crystal sandwich. Here. Take these leftovers. And friends, we want to offer God leftovers. We want to eat and give the world everything in our lives. And then with the little leftovers on a plate, scrape them off and say, here, God, this is yours. And Malachi's going there with these people. And all he's going after is he says, I want you to assess your priorities. And I believe that's what God wants to do here. He just wants us to assess our priorities because there's another place in worship he wants to take us. And that place in worship is a God-glorifying life. A God-glorifying life. He says, listen, now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. And while this is being done by your hands, will God accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. Who is there even among you who shut up the doors and will not even kindle up a fire? People stay at home and say, I just can't make it today. On the altar of God, wonder if God shut up his bowels of compassion and wonder if he didn't keep his heart beating today. Wonder if he said, what if God said, I'm going to take a day off. I don't feel like making hearts tick today. See, because he's left us, even when we're acting foolish, his mercy and his grace still come upon us. He says, now shall I accept these at your hands, says the Lord of hosts? He ends with this prophetic word that we end with tonight and then we pick up tonight. And in verse 11, he says, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, my name shall be praised among the Gentiles. What he says to Israel is, is, Israel, you think that you have a premium on me because of your longevity with me. He said, but my goal is I want the Gentiles to worship me. You know why sometimes God brings strange people in our church and cleans them up and saves them and they just won't shut up. They tell their testimony to everybody in the church about how lost they were and how saved they are. You know why God brings in some of those kind of people sometimes? Because those folks knew that they were without strength. They were without hope. They were enemies of God and God rescued them and brought them out and they knew they did not do that by themselves and they live a God-glorifying life. I believe God brings some of those burning people with fire because he wants to stir us up today back to our first love passion he said i want you to have that kind of passion for me again he says in every place where incense is offered to my name a pure offering for my name verse 11 in chapter 1 he says shall be great among the nations says the lord of hosts i close with this thought a missions report was just given but we don't just do missions to save lost children and lost people. We do missions because God is being glorified. And see, the reason that we do missions, friends, is just simply this, that God knows it out there, there are people that are worshiping things that don't glorify God. It's called idolatry. And a God-glorifying life is to worship of the one true and living God. Some people are worshiping ancestor worship. Some people are worshiping the earth. Some people are worshiping some invisible cosmic force. Some people are worshiping their own ideology. All oh, agnosticism and atheism, that's a, that's a theological view that says there is no God. People are worshiping at the altar of science. And friends, I want you to know that God says, I am God and I need you to worship me on my terms and who I am. Hear me well. Because you see, God is a God of creation. I was with some men in Columbus, Ohio, and these men came together and they were trying to blend creationism and evolution. And I told them it won't work. And they said, but brother, science has proven. And I said, proven what? I said, science can maybe explain from their limited point of view. I said, uh, 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 process. I said, but they don't know everything. And then I drew on a board a big circle. I said, how much knowledge do you have? If this is all knowledge, How much knowledge do you have? And a guy put a little circle. He said, I think I know about about this much. I said, habla espanol? He said, no. I said, make the circle a little smaller. (laughs) I said, speck in the Deutsch? (laughs) No. I said, make the circle a little smaller. Do you know the Pythagorean theory? No. Make the circle a little bit smaller. Do you know John 3, 16? Yeah, I know that. Okay, you're safe. (laughs) And friends, if this is all that's known by man, God is outside of that. So there's some things I have to take on God's viewpoint and on his account. And this man said, well, how can you explain the earth to be millions and millions of years old? And he looked at me and I said, have you ever read the Gospel of John? Yeah, I read it. And he said, but these things just evolved. They just developed. I said, listen, when God creates something, he creates it old at the point of creation. I said, Adam wasn't born a little embryo and a little baby. He was born a man. God spoke and he was so. When he brought forth a woman, she was a full grown woman. I said, God makes things old at the point of creation. And he said, explain that one more time. I said, you know that wine, it takes time to ferment wine. John chapter two. I said, yet Jesus made water in the wine without billions and billions of years of fermentation. He spoke and they did what he said and it was so. He can make things old at the point of creation. And friends, he is a creator. He is a Lord, but he's also the lover of your soul. And you know what? His name will be exalted among the nations. Pray if you can come now. And listen to me. Among the nations, God's name is starting to be glorified. People have come out of prisons in China, and God's being glorified. People are now uh, working even in hostile, radical Hindu countries like India, and God's being glorified. Even where this flight 370 has now disappeared in Malaysia. We were in Kuala Lumpur, my wife and I, years ago. It's a Muslim nation and they, and they have banned conversion by having anti-conversion laws. If you convert a Muslim in Malaysia, you go to jail for five years. If you baptize them, two more years. Anti-conversion laws. We preach there. And yet they didn't tell me that rule before I preached. And when I gave an altar call, these Muslim men came down and gave their lives to the Lord. To the glory of God. And now the gospel is being preached in Malaysia, Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim nation in the world. The gospel is being preached. God is being glorified. You know that Jesus John is now, Pastor John is now showing himself the people in various nations. I have a Jewish friend and he's a Messianic Jew. His name is Kurt Schneider, Rabbi Schneider. He teaches on many of the television stations called the Jewish Jesus. He's a good friend of mine. He's from our city. Preached in our church many times. And I say, Kurt, how did you receive the Lord? He said, Jesus appeared to me. He said, I never read a New Testament. Nobody ever gave me a track. He said, Jesus appeared to me and told me he was the Jewish Messiah. If he could do it for Paul, he could do it for a Hindu, he could do it for a Malaysian, he could do it for an Indonesian, he could do it for a Kenyan, he could do it for a Nigerian, he could do it for an American. Because God's name wants to be glorified among the nations. But when people come into our family, what are they going to find with us who have been here for a while? That's what I'm after. Are they going to find the same fervor and the same fire and the same passion that they're experiencing? Or are they going to think you got something different than I got? God's coming to Faith Christian Center this week to stir us up for God-glorifying life and a new level of worship and a new level of passion so that when the community comes in, they will actually see from our passion and from our life of worship that we're serious about this thing. I want to pray for us because when you've been with the Lord for a little while, it's possible to know that things can wane and get cold. you first start loving that girl, man, you thought about her all the time, called her up. I remember my wife and I, we'd, date, we'd just hang on the phone just hearing each other breathe. <laughs> just wanted to stay connected. Some of y'all don't know anything about this. That's when they still had linked the rotary phones. And we'd just be hanging on the phone talking. You had limited area you could go to because you had a cord attached to it man, I wanted to be with her. I wanted to be around her. Wasn't nothing to open up the car door. Wanted to ride with me everywhere I went. Come on, come to the store with me. But you know, after you're married for a while, start forgetting all that first love passion. I mean, when it's time to go to Walmart, you go out there and she comes out with you. You get in the car, started up, lock the door and you're at Walmart before you found out you left her in the driveway. <laughs> You don't want to go on this Christian journey without Jesus. You want to make sure he's right there in the seat, right there, steering and driving the car. You want to make sure he's with you and God's after that. I want him. I want this church like our church and God's working on us too to be a God glorifying church. Could you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? Thanks, Ray. That's the right song. Father, in our lives, we want you to be glorified. Father, through our church, we want you to be glorified. Father, the voice of the messenger, the Malachi, comes, says, I want another place in worship. I want a God-glorifying life. And Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all to the glory of God. God, let us be a God-glorifying church that we don't think about this is going to bless people. We think about you more than we think about the people. Father, we don't do this because it's going to bless the poor. We think about you more we think about the poor. Though you are interested in the poor, ultimately you want to be glorified. And God, would you forgive us in areas of our life where we've gotten a little cold and callous and, and we've not been as thoughtful? Father, would you forgive us in those areas where we've gotten cool and lukewarm? Would you forgive us in those areas, Father, where we just started getting casual? showing up when we want to show up and being late when we want to be late. Oh God, rekindle and stir again the fires that once burned within our bellies so that we'll bring in the best, so that we'll bring in that which is glorifying to you in Jesus' name. And God, the response to your love is to honor you. And the wild way that we honor you is to bring our best today, Father. Oh God, forgive us for bringing in that which is lame, that which is blind, that which is broken, Oh, God, we come to you this day and we say we want to bring in our biggest, our best. And we want to worship you, but worship you in a different way. God, be glorified. God, we're not tired of your table. We're not tired of your revival fires and the fires on the altar. We want you to be glorified in our lives today. Now, Father, let our attitude this week be worked into an attitude of worship that will be a God-glorifying attitude. We believe you for that today, Jesus. And we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified, Lord God. Be glorified.